0: Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter three, beginning at verse twenty-one. If you'd like uh, to borrow a church Bible, if you just raise your hand, and it's on page one one three zero on the church Bible. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law re- that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. (coughs) Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the
1: word of God. Great, do make sure you can see that passage and let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are a speaking God, that your words are the words of life. And so Father, we pray that you would speak to us now that through your word and by your spirit you would speak to us and change us for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we live in a culture, don't we, that loves to boast about our achievements. Whether it's The Apprentice, I don't know if you watch watched The Apprentice, it's just started again. Whether it's The Apprentice candidates bragging about their credentials or presidents boasting about their greatness We live in a culture that says it is great to be me. And feeling good about ourselves, feeling proud about ourselves, well, it's something that's encouraged right from a young age. So I recently read a piece of government advice on how to lead a school assembly. We've just been thinking about schools. How to lead a school assembly in a way that boosts children's self-esteem. Just listen to what it says. The story the children are about to hear tells of some of the animals that live in the forest. Of all the animals, it's the mouse who's forgotten that she has her own special gift. The children are going to try and help the mouse believe in herself. And so every time the mouse says, I'm no good, I'm only a mouse, the children should whisper, Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Several times to help the mouse remember, it's great to be who she is. Before they leave the assembly, ask the children and the adults to say out loud to themselves, It's great to be me. It's great to be me. And it's not just for children, is it? Here's a piece of advice from a book entitled How to Marry Yourself. Yeah. See yourself as a goddess. Begin to notice your perfections when you look in the mirror. Say yes, 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 a lot, with revelous and delightful joy. Practice shameless acts of joy and master joyous acts of shame. This is my favourite bit. Affirm yourself daily with delicious words including magical, mystical, sparkling, juicy and divine. When you see yourself as a goddess, this is the gorgeous energy that you will radiate and you will begin to attract similarly gorgeous people into your life. We live in a culture that says boasting in yourself is a good, even an essential thing to do. But I wonder, did you notice what Paul said in verse 27 of our passage this morning? He said the opposite. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Paul says for the Christian, there can be no such thing as boasting. It's excluded. It shouldn't happen. And that's because far from being a good thing, boasting is a sign of a deep and serious problem. It's a problem that Paul's been unpacking for us for the last Few chapters. It's the problem of pride. Pride, Paul said back in chapter 1, suppresses the truth about God. It covers up the fact that there is a God who made this world, this universe, and everything in it. Pride rejects the authority of God and instead seeks to make me or, or ourselves the ultimate authority in our lives. Pride, as we saw back in chapter 2, leads us to boast in our moral and religious accomplishments, to look down at other people as less than ourselves. Pride leads to the hypocrisy of judging others, but ignoring the fact that we barely meet our own standards each and every day. Pride means, as chapter 3 verse 18 says, there's no fear of God in us. We've got such an overwhelming sense of our own significance, our own importance that we can't even imagine trembling before the God who made us. And so boasting, well, well, boasting is simply the outward expression of a proud and sinful heart. And so Paul says it's a big problem. So what's the solution? What is the solution to pride? Pride. Well, again, we've so far heard part one of Paul's solution. Part one has been to get us to realize that there is absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. That's been Paul's point for the last few chapters. And so we got his conclusion in chapter 3, verse 10 last week. There is no one righteous, not even one, And 3 verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. We all stand guilty and condemned before a holy God. And so if you've been with us for the last few weeks, if you've listened to Paul so far, and you still think you have something to boast about, well then can I say you haven't been listening. That's part one. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And then we come this morning to chapter 3, verse 21, and we hear those two wonderful words. But now. But now a righteousness from God has been made known. A righteousness, a way to be right with God has been made known. And so we come to part two of the solution. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God, but now God has done everything to make you right with him. And so this morning, Paul wants to lift our eyes from our own unrighteousness, our own failed attempts to live rightly before God, to lift our eyes to God's righteousness. And the first thing we see is that God's righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. Look back at verse 21 with me. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. A right standing with God, Paul says, is not something you can earn. Whether it's Old Testament law-keeping or moralistic behaviour, this righteousness, Paul says, it can't be earned. It is apart from the law. But instead, it is something that God gives us. It's something that we receive. And we receive it, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, right at the start of of our passage, we've got to be careful not to make a mistake. A subtle mistake of thinking that faith is the thing that saves us. It can be easy to think, can't it, that that in the Old Testament, well, all God wanted back then was obedience to the law. Uh, That's how we would earn his favour, his salvation. And now that's just been replaced with this thing called faith. And so faith replaces law as some sort of work, something that we must do. Uh, But that is a misunderstanding of both law and faith, as we're going to see in a minute. It is Christ's work that earns our salvation, not ours. And so faith, well, faith is simply coming to God with empty hands to receive what Christ has done for us. Paul says it's through faith in Jesus, through receiving his work, that we are made righteous. And that's true for everyone. Look at the end of verse 22. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whether Jew or Gentile, the only way you'll be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. But that raises a a pretty big question this morning. The question of how. How is that possible? Because for the last three weeks, we've heard Paul describe how, how proud, how selfish, how sinful the human race is. And so if verse 23 is true, and all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, well then how does believing in Jesus actually make any difference? How does it actually change the reality? Well, in verses 23 and 24, Paul explains. So look at verse 23 with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul says it's through faith in Jesus Christ that all are justified. The language of justification comes straight from the law court. And so to be justified, well, that just means to be declared right, to be declared innocent. And so just imagine for a moment, in, in the courtroom of your life, you have the prosecution and the defence. And everything you do every day is well, it's just providing evidence. Evidence for one or the other. Some days you'll feel like you're winning. Things will be going well. You'll feel quite good about yourself. Feel quite proud. Uh, But then other days, we'll feel like we're losing. Uh, We'll feel guilty, shameful, embarrassed about the things we've said and done. Uh, But the whole time, either good or bad, we're we're basically just living for this verdict. Uh, The verdict in in the law court that says we are good. That we're in the right. that, That we're living life well. And so one person, well, they might try to get that verdict by being really good. And so they try ever, ever so hard to be nice. Uh, they, they give to charity. They're always very polite. Uh, they're friendly. They, they go out of, their way, out of their way to help other people. But the whole time, deep down in, inside, they're, they're desperately hoping they will get the verdict that confirms they are a good person. Do, do you see? They, they perform in order to get the verdict. Or another person, they, they might try to do that by being really religious. They go to church twice every Sunday. They never miss a prayer meeting. They're on four committees, they help at the youth work, and they're on the coffee rota. But again, they do all those things secretly hoping that they'll get the verdict that says yes. Yes, aren't they a good Christian? Again, they perform in order to get the verdict. And that's how lots of people live their lives, whether religious or not. Every day they're on trial. Every day they're performing in order to get the verdict they want to hear. That's what's going on with the self-esteem movement. It's just telling yourself what you want to hear. Telling yourself that you're good, that you're special that you're perfect no matter what. But do you see here in verse 21 and 22, Paul says the gospel is unique. He's saying that through faith in Jesus, God gives you the verdict right at the start, before any performance. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, God justifies us. The judge of this world stands up and declares us innocent, perfect, in the right. That is his verdict on our life. And he does that freely, Paul says. He does it by his grace, which means we don't perform to get that verdict. It's a gift, it's given to us freely. How can that happen? How can a guilty people be justified like that? We'd be outraged, wouldn't we? If we turned on the news and we saw a judge had just declared an innocent, a guilty person to be innocent, regardless of what they had done, it wouldn't be right. So how does God do it? Look again at verse 24. All are justified freely, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justification comes through redemption. And now redemption, well that's the language of the marketplace of, of buying and selling. And so you would redeem something by paying a price for it. In Paul's day that could have been a person. So you might go down to the slave market. You hand over some money and and a slave, a person, would come into your possession. You could then choose to set that person free. And in doing so, you would have redeemed them. You would have paid the price for their freedom. And Paul here is saying that our justification comes through a price paid by Jesus. What is the price? Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. We've been in a courtroom, the market, and now Paul takes us to the Old Testament temple. Because once a year on the day of atonement, a priest would take a goat and confess all of the sins of Israel, all the sins of all the people over that goat. It would then be killed And it's blood taken into the heart of the temple and poured out on the altar. And so the people watching there, they were given this vivid picture of a substitute. A sacrifice taking the penalty of their sin. Taking the punishment they deserved. The punishment of death. And that is what Paul is saying is happening as Jesus is presented as a sacrifice of atonement. On the cross, all of our sin was placed on Jesus. And so when God looked at him, he saw a man who, in the words of Romans chapter one, was filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity, a man full of envy, murder and strife, a gossip, a slanderer, a God-hater, insolent, arrogant and boastful. Jesus took our sin and so faced God's wrath, his right anger in our place. The full weight of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross. That is what it means for Jesus to be a sacrifice of atonement, or as some translations have it, a propitiation for our sin. Jesus takes the wrath of God in our place. He pays the price for our freedom. And so can you see how those two things come together, our redemption and justification? At the cross, Jesus dies in our place. He takes the punishment We deserve, and so God's justice is satisfied. But more than that, in exchange for our sinful record, Jesus gives us his perfect record. In exchange for our unrighteousness, Jesus gives us his righteousness. And so we can be justified, we can be declared in the right before God. And all of this, Paul says, verse 25, is received by faith. In other words, our salvation, our justification has been achieved entirely by God. With no help from us. There is nothing for us to boast about. Because righteousness is a free gift of grace from God. God is the one who justifies. It is all from him and not from us. God justifies and in doing so, he also shows himself to be perfectly just. That's our second point this morning. Verses 25 and 26 show us God's righteousness or his justice is demonstrated at the cross. Look at verse 25. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul says that before Jesus' death on the cross, God had left some sins unpunished. You see, God's people in the Old Testament, as great as they were, they had done some pretty terrible things, hadn't they? Take Abraham as an example. Abraham was a man so concerned to save his own life that he pretended his wife was his sister, risking the possibility of other men sleeping with her just to protect himself. Or David, David, king of Israel, David the adulterer. David the man who murdered another, uh, another woman's husband just to cover up his affair with her. Well, these people were guilty sinners just like you and me. But as we see in chapter 4 next week, well, Abraham, he's declared righteous. And David, he writes this in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And so again, we we should ask, how is that possible? How can it be just, how can it be right of God to accept these people? How can he not count their sins against them? And again, Paul's answer is the same. It is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus. Yes, God had left the sins of his people in the past unpunished until the time he punished them at the cross. And so in verse 25, Paul says the cross is God's visible display, his demonstration that he has not ignored his people's sin in the past. He's not some sort of dodgy judge that just sweeps sin under the carpet, pretends it doesn't really matter. No, God is just. All sin will be punished. And so whether it's people in the past or people in the present, all of us have a choice to make. Either our sin will be dealt with, will be punished at the cross of Christ, or we will face that punishment ourselves when we stand before God at judgment End of verse 26, God is both just, he will punish sin, and he's the one who justifies. He has made a way, just one way, to deal with that sin through the sacrifice of his son. And that way, that justification, that is, that is open to anyone and everyone here this morning. Uh, Whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever our background, whatever we think we should have done or haven't done in the past, God's amazing offer, his gospel, is that we can be justified freely through faith in Jesus. It's an offer that is open to all. And that brings us back to this issue of boasting. You see, if we, if we believe this gospel, if we really believe that there is nothing that we can do to justify ourselves, uh, nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God, but that He has done everything necessary to make us right with Him, well, then we'll realize we have nothing to boast about. And so that's our final point this morning. So, no boasting. Look at verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Do you ever wonder why it is so much easier to talk about ourselves than Jesus? Why is it that we have no problem telling other people how busy we are about all the things that we are doing to serve the Lord? That we do really struggle to talk about how God has served us, what he has done for us. I think that's partly because we fail to believe these verses. We fail to believe verse 28. We want to justify ourselves. And so we boast in the things that we do. We boast in our works. It was a big danger for the Jewish believers back in Rome. They, they were boasting in their works, boasting in their law-keeping. And it remains a danger for us. Sometimes we just quietly boast to ourselves, don't we? We tell ourselves how well-taught we are, how comprehensive we are, our Bible knowledge is, especially when compared to those other people in our life group. Or we pat ourselves on the back for, for making it to another prayer meeting, even though our lives are clearly far busier than everybody else in the church. We boast to ourselves and we boast to others. Or we subtly slip in how, how late we were at church packing up after that event. Or how we need to pray for so-and-so because, well, they're making some pretty poor choices. Choices that we, of course, would never make. It's subtle, isn't it? But if you're anything like me, we're constantly on the lookout for things to boast in. To boast about the things that we do. But Paul says in verse 28, If we maintain that we are not justified by works of the law, that nothing that we do makes a jot of difference to how God views us. And in verse 29, we understand that there is one God who justifies people in one way through faith in Jesus, then all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our speech, it won't be about how good and great we are, but it will be about how amazing Christ is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that Christ has become our righteousness. And so those who boast should boast in the Lord. Christ has become our righteousness. It is his record that justifies us. That's why Paul can say right at the end there in verse 31 that we uphold the law still. We don't uphold it as a, as a means of earning our salvation, not as something to boast in or to divide over. No, we uphold the law because Christ fulfills the law for us. He keeps it perfectly for us. He gives us his righteousness. And so whoever you are, wherever you're from, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you've been coming to church your whole life, or this is your first day, whether you know the Bible backwards or you can barely find Genesis, if you put your faith in Jesus, then God looks at you as a perfect law keeper, perfectly righteous, because of what Christ has done for you. And so I hope you can see this morning that we really don't need more self-esteem. We really don't need to leave here this morning thinking more of ourselves. We don't need to believe in ourselves more. We don't need to tell ourselves how wonderful and special we are. No, what we really need to do this morning is think more of Christ. What we really need is to keep telling ourselves and keep telling each other how beautiful, how perfect, how good and gracious Christ is we need to fix our thoughts on him and to believe in him because it's in him and only in him that we are justified that we are accepted by God both today and for all eternity let's pray this morning that we would be people who boast in Christ let's pray For Christ is our righteousness, so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing truths. Thank you that we, guilty sinners, people who are proud and self-righteous, people who could do nothing to earn your love or forgiveness or acceptance, can be justified, can be declared right, Father, thank you that we can be redeemed, we can be brought back to you all through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Father, lift our eyes to him this morning, that we would boast in him, that we would want to make him known as the redeemer, the one who justifies us freely by his grace. We pray that that his name would be honoured. Amen.